Welcome back to another episode of A Gift from Adversity. My name is Julie Love. I'm your host. Thank you very much for tuning in. Today, we are recording episode 110. Before I introduce our guest tonight, I want to introduce myself and my book. Again, my name is Julie Love, and my book is called A Gift from Adversity which is the same title as this podcast. And subtitle of this book is Overcoming Sexual Abuse, Domestic Violence, Bullying, and Homelessness. This is available on Amazon. If you search A Gift from Adversity and Jury Love. This is a book about my life and my adversity that I experienced in Japan, and it's published in 2020. Now, after I published my book, I got a lot of messages from all over the world sharing their stories, and I felt very compelled to start a podcast where people can share about their adversities, but not only that, share the tools that they use to overcome and the gift that came from it. And I'm very grateful that I'm able to continue this podcast and continue to have wonderful guests. So let's invite today's guest. Hi, Beata. Thank you so much for coming in tonight. Hi, Jury. I'm so happy to be here and thank you for invitation. Absolutely. So, Beata, let's start uh, with who you are, where you're coming in from, and what you do for your work. If you have a website or social media, you can share. All right. So, I'm originally from Poland, but I live in Colorado, United States for the last 11 years. And uh, who I am, I'm a person, a girl, I say, this girl from Poland that decided to move to United States. Uh, What I do, I help people, especially leaders from all backgrounds to truly be themselves and, you know, my my main message is lead from within. So very often, these people that I work with, they look outside for something that can be created only from within. And I'm helping them to go back to themselves, find out or create who they really are, and we move from there. Except of that, I'm also a Reiki practitioner, shamanic Reiki practitioner, and right now I'm studying breath work. So I'm still like student in progress. <laughs> and do you have any website or social media people can follow and learn more about you? Yes, you can find me on all social medias: Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and uh, Twitter. But uh, my website currently is lead, uh, sorry, I have website under construction, lead from within. And the website that is still working, it's beatalifecoaching.com. So it's B-E-A-T-A lifecoaching.com. Well, thank you so much for sharing. So let's, let's dive into our first question, which is the adversity. So can you tell our audience, what was your adversity? Are you ready for that story? I'm not sure. (laughs) Let's go there. So as I mentioned at the beginning, I come from Poland. I was born and raised during communism and 
for people who are not quite familiar with that term. It's basically the time in your, well, whoever is not experiencing it, you live in a country that you have basically no rights, that your government is the one that decides about everything for you. And the time when I was living there, there was like nothing in the stores. You had uh, food stamps for like very little food. So it was the first adversity, but I was small and I didn't really understand what that means. So you, you don't desire what you are not aware of. So I didn't know that the, the world is bigger and has more to offer. I was just watching my parents, how much they struggle with everyday life, but they were strong enough to show me that I can push and I can I can survive. So then it was the first adversity that I experienced. And I'm so grateful to my mom, especially, that was so strong and was always telling me, kid, if you cannot follow a leader, you better become one. And the leader in my life is this everyday person that wakes up in the morning, looks in the mirror and say, I'm going to lead myself today, no matter what. Lead at my best. So I, I will do whatever I can to provide for myself and for the family, community, whoever you are leading. And the next adversity that actually showed up in my life, it was also early. I was just seven um, and I experienced car accident traumatic brain injury and i was told based well i was not told at first i overheard that after i don't know how many how much time i was not awake but when i awake i heard my uh, the doctor talking to my mom and i just heard them saying mom you need to understand that your child will never be normal that was very crushing for the little kid even I didn't really understood what they are, what is the meaning of that. But what I knew at that time, it means that I'm less. It's what I heard. I'm less. I'm not enough. I heard that they said she will never be like the other kids anymore. She won't finish probably school at all, or she will basically be like a veggie. But so if she survives the next couple, next couple years, it's great. But don't expect much from her. So I started crying and I didn't know what is happening. I, and I was just like, I want to be normal. I want to be normal. I want to be like everybody else. And uh, I remember my mom came and thanks for her wisdom at that time. She said, kid, my lovely child, you do not want to be normal. You are not normal. You are special. You are God's miracle child. That gave me hope that there is a bigger mission for me that gave me hope that I can decide who I want to be. So starting there, I didn't really follow the doctor's, uh, you know, descriptions about me, the doctor's story about me. I decided back then at a seven year old that I will write my story over. So I finished whatever school I, I even got into university. I've got my uh, master's degree at the end. So I proved 
But for a very long time, I thought that I'm proving them. I'm proving them that I'm better, that I'm not less, that I, I can do whatever you, I want. And later in life, I understood that actually for all these years, I was proving myself. I was proving myself that I am enough, that I am strong enough, that I can do and build the life I want. There were a lot of obstacles during that time, and I was up and down with my, you know, stories. Well, sometimes, yeah, even at school when I didn't get the, the grade that I was expecting, there was this fear, I'm not enough, I'm not like the other kids. But I was able to overcome it because I had that belief in me that it's it's up to me what what who I want to be. And uh, then I'm uh, well, that's the funny story, because in the meantime, they were also were saying that I won't be able to have family and all this stuff. So I met my prince charming and we were together for a very long time, 11 years very in love and it was beautiful uh, relationship until it wasn't so it was the next adversity that came and just before our 11th anniversary uh, my fiance left me for someone else and it crushed me it crushed me more than when this accident that i was seven year when i was seven year old probably because as a kid you just don't care and when i was or i was already close to my 30s and uh, in my small town back in poland when you are 30 and you don't have family you know the social rules is it's you are less you you are just not useful and you are you are just not like other people so this limiting belief from the past came back i'm less i'm not enough not having even a, a relationship, stable relationship. And that that time was tough because I actually fell into depression and I reached out for help to professionals, but unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, the person, the doctor that I spoke to, he just said, well, you are young, you are, you're, you will be fine, you will find someone else. And it was the only visit that we had. It was not that easy for me. I was not ready for another relationships. And uh, I had uh, even thoughts of, you know, killing myself. It was dark. I was in a very dark spot for a long time. But without that, I guess I wouldn't be here. So I'm grateful for that experience too. So at some point, I was really on the bottom so sometimes we have to reach a bottom so we can go up and i was at this bottom i was lying on the floor looking at the fan and i was like just god please help me to just die or i don't know be killed because i cannot kill myself just please take me from this earth i don't want to be here and I don't know if it was God or my ego or what was it, but it's a, you are not done yet. So that message gave me hope somehow. And I started looking for different help. It's how I got into self-development. I had different mentors that helped me actually to rewrite my story. So 
I fell into the victim story for a very long time. So almost, I think, five years when I was depressed and was going up and down with my moods and thinking who I am or who I am not. And uh, so, as I said, they helped me to rewrite that story, to shift my mindset and start believing in myself again. I think for whoever is listening to us, your audience, my audience, I hope, remember, you do not have to go through adversity on your own. Reach out for help. And I did it. I'm here today. I'm very happy. That shaped also my my future because I was equipped with many tools that helped me to become who I am today and put me on a path that uh, I am also today, I'm a coach and a speaker, and all what I do is helping people to, to overcome adver- adversity. So, but continuing my story, when I decided to move on, I decided that it's not the end of my life. I still want to be here. So I also decided that, well, maybe it's true, but Poland is not enough for my pain, I'm going to move. So I moved to the United States. And the funny story is that I always tell my audience uh, that when I was packing my stuff and getting on the plane, they allow you to take only one luggage. Back in the time it was two, now it's one. So I had two luggages. But I always say that the, the luggage that I really was carrying with me it was on my shoulder. So wherever you go, there you are. And my emotional pain and the stuff that I still didn't work through, I brought with me across the ocean. So my my adversity just took different shape. So I healed a lot of stuff back in Poland, but moved to United States and faced new adversity. Well, first, English is not my first language. And I thought that, well, I'm I'm pretty good with my language. Then you have all these, you know, people with different accents. And oh my, I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know what they are saying. And I the, the limiting story came back. You are not enough. You are not like everybody else. Then I had pretty good job at that time and work with customers, customer service. Customers can be really mean sometimes for your. I mean, whoever is working with people, you know that. And uh, I experienced sometimes not very kind words like go back to where you come from. Is there some is there someone who really speaks uh, English? And again, the story, you are not enough. Go back where you came from. You never be like others. You won't achieve what others came back. But then I was already equipped in more tools and knew that I don't want to go through it on my own. So I reached out for another mentors, for another their coaches that helped me to get stronger and stronger. And that was the path again to where I am today. I decided I was even more sure that I want to help people, that I want, want to work with others that not always believe that the adversity can be a gift, that think that adversity is the end. Very often it's for me as well, 
I learned that my adversity actually was the beginning. Without all these experiences and adversity, I would not move to United States. I would not meet all of these people. I wouldn't wouldn't be here on this uh, podcast show. I wouldn't meet jury and people like her that are so open to share their adversity gift with others. So that in, uh, you know, short story. And if you have any other questions, I'm open to answer. Sure. So let's say, I know you mentioned a little bit of uh, tools, how you got to where you are, but let's save that for the second question. But let's dive in a little bit more. Um, I know you mentioned three major adversities or maybe fourth coming to America and then facing discriminations, etc. which I did and which I still am experiencing, unfortunately. But let's go back to the communism part of it. And then a lot of us don't understand what the communism is and then what is, is it like to live under the communism. And then um, I know you are young, but what do you think your observation is? Because you mentioned a little bit things about, you know, grocery stores and food and struggle. What is it like to, now you are in the United States, um, compare now observing what was going on when you are growing up under the communism? Absolutely. First of all, you have no voice. You have no voice. Your thoughts are not yours, really. They tell you what you're supposed to think, how you're supposed to behave, what is right, what is wrong. You you are just like a, like a robot. You have to follow it. And if you don't follow it, then you have punishment. And punishment can end even in imprisoning you or killing you. So it was my reality. But we are in a very small village far from the big cities that the, the really bad stuff was happening mostly in big cities. But even I remember, well, the, uh, the not fortunate part for living in a village was being far from food. And I remember my mom, just to get food could have to go to bigger city so she would wake up like 3 a.m we didn't have car we didn't have anything just bike so she was riding her bike to the train station and i i was small and she had no one to i was the youngest of four but my um my siblings, they were yeah, going to school so when she didn't have anyone to leave me with so she would put me in this basket like on on her bike and take me with her so it was very small it doesn't matter if winter and winters in Poland are really cold whenever so the 3 a.m with this little kid get on the bike to the train station take a train or a bus change train again it was crazy to get to this bigger city then you had to why so early because you had to get get in the line in the queenie so you had to take your spot in the line so the farther you are the less chances that you will get the food for the entire family and it was again just some portions you could have like one kilo of sugar and one piece of bread it was crazy but the, the scary part of that was that people, instead of being united and help each other, it was surviving. So they 
worked against each other. So I remember I was so cold and hungry because we we left home so early and it was like 7 a.m. and there was some some store open where my mom could get a piece of bread for me or some donut, which you don't even, you know, the taste was not like donut. It was awful, but something. So she just left the, the line where we were waiting yeah, for our turn to, to get into the store. It was outside. We did not even get into the store. You couldn't get into the store. And uh, she said, okay, I'm leaving my kid. And it was maybe like four or five. My here, I'd be across the street, got her a, a piece of bread and I will be back. And these people said, okay, we will keep eye on her. And she left. And the little I knew, they kicked me out of the line and I had no clue. So I was just standing there. I was like, okay. And I just wanted some food and something maybe warm to, to drink. And so my mom came back and they was like, oh, you, you were not here in the line. Like now you have to go on the back. So, so, but the funny story is that my mom, she was very feisty and she showed me that when people make you less you have to stand up for yourself so she was she started yelling at them it's like i was here since three something not three four a.m and i'm not gonna leave you kick my kid out of this line just so you can have more food for your family so that, that was very disgusting and scary thing instead of being united people were separated and it's scary today too so always think for yourself always think that separation is not gonna take you anywhere be united it, it's it's my bad bad memories from from that time yeah it's unbelievable like I can't even imagine not going to a grocery store yes even you know and not having access for food as a child and then you have to go so early in the cold and get kicked out from the line yes you cannot listen the music that you want you cannot listen the radio that you want you don't have any channels at least at just one that they allow you to have on tv so it's it's really you have no rights basically well and then let's go back to your car accident. So okay. what happened? Do you remember what was the accident like? So uh, I the, the interesting thing now when I think about that is that I don't remember much or anything almost from before the accident. So I don't have my childhood memories, only what my mom told me. The only thing I remember is that, that very like maybe time just before getting into the car with my father is what I remember. But I don't remember when I was very small. I have this like partially, like I remember for some reason that staying in, standing in this line, but it's like, you know, pieces of what I remember, but I don't have the full memories of my childhood from before the accident. And then, so we were, uh, getting in the car I don't remember where we were going but on the way back so it was the main street and then we had to turn in the yeah 
to my house to the like on site this smaller street and i remember we, we were going and i saw my mom riding her yeah it was not even our car so my father was driving someone else's car and my mom was riding her bike from work and i was like oh my gosh mom mom i was so excited to to see her at home she was my best friend and then I assume we're supposed to turn because I remember the uh, yeah the the light that you turning uh, indicator light you you put on. So I just remember it's the sound of it. But then it was like boom, and I don't remember anything else. So the when my father was turning, obviously the huge truck hit us from the side, from the side where I was also, and I don't remember anything else. I just from what my mom told me, she was keeping me in her arms. I was not conscious and they were waiting for uh, for the, the doctors to come, yeah. And uh, it was also the time when we didn't have cell phones. So they had to find this phone in the village. Like there was a couple of people that had phones, the line, yeah, the line phones and calls for ambulance so it was taking some time and basically when i got into hospital i was unconscious and they were just doing everything to save me so you said you are maybe seven years old yes i was seven years old i supposed to be in a second grade but then i was uh, i couldn't go back to school and they said don't don't send her to school at all. Maybe she can take a gap, like a year, or who knows, maybe she will never go back. But my mom was, thank goodness, she had her own thoughts and said, okay, how about homeschooling? So she arranged with the teacher because the second grade, you have the same teacher, like, yes, still the same teacher as the first grade, I mean, at least where I was. And she knew already that teacher and the teacher was coming like twice a week and like slowly were teaching me so I can catch up for the next year, maybe the whole boss. And I did, I did catch up. So I joined my class in the next year. And yeah, but it was, it was very weird, you know, like I was asking, I want to go to see my friends. I want to play with my friends. And I couldn't because they were so afraid that I will get epilepsy, that I will get scissors. It was that like, basically they said, you, you cannot be too excited. You cannot be too stressed. Like you cannot, you cannot. It was like the old, you know, song that I was hearing. You can't this, you can't that. You can't jump, you can't run. So that, but again, is when you are a child, you don't really listen sometimes. You just do what you you just do whatever child wants to do. So I have this memory when they said do not run. And uh, I saw one of my family members coming to visit us, and I started running because I wanted to hug that person and I started running and I hear my mom do not run she's screaming at me like do not run and I I knew that it was my brain injury so I in my mind my child mind it was like oh maybe if I keep my head so my brain won't shake too much and I will be still running so I was still running just keeping my head like that hoping that my brain won't shake too much <laughs> That's funny. 
So with the traumatic brain injury, did you break any part of body, um, bone? Or no, that's the funny thing. Nothing in here. I still have very deep dent in my scalp because something like went through my, my scalp, some piece of the car. I don't remember what was it. So it was like you could see it through and... Uh, they, they thought to put some, uh, I think, metal thing to cover it. But the doctor, thank goodness, at that time, he said, well, well, let's wait with it. She's very small and her bones can can repair by her, by itself, hopefully. If not, we have, we still have time to, to do the another surgery to put this metal thing. But thank goodness I healed. I mean, I still have a dent. I'm very lucky that I have hair because they were afraid that in this, I won't have any hair in that area. It's like big, like a fist, you know, like this size, the, the hole was that big. And so you can, I can still like touch it. And uh, that was another thing that why I was ashamed of when I was going to, to the hairdressers, I was always ashamed that they will touch it and they, oh my gosh, what they will think. And uh, so interesting that I was for a while I was ashamed of that accident until I own it it's part of my story it's part of me it made me stronger so it I have to own it and since then it's it's not a scar that I'm ashamed of it's the scar that reminds me that I am strong well first of all thank you so much for sharing and I'm sorry that you had to go through that that's, you know, that's part of my story, I guess. And let's actually focus on your relationship and then the fiance who left to another woman. And I am Japanese where we were taught to serve men and yeah. we are trained to serve men. Almost your purpose is to marry somebody, have kids and have the perfect life and, you know, so much. Yeah of pressure how is it in Poland well it it changed a lot since then but at that time and uh, it was similar like the, the biggest achievement for women it was to have family yeah get married have family and serve the family and uh, even neighbors I remember it's like oh yeah you you can go and have your uh, studies and your yeah, the masters or whatever they said you are studying, but it's just for your own satisfaction. But what you really need to focus on is to find a man that will marry you, have kids, and it's your life. But deep down, somehow, I knew that it's not my destiny. Like, okay, it's what you are saying, but it's not my life. Like I know that life is bigger and I want to travel when, yeah, it, it was already communism was over at that time. So I was like, I still want to travel. I was hope to visit another countries, but yes. And it changed a lot since then in big cities, especially, but small villages or even towns, the pressure is still the same. If you are single and you're after 30, you are like someone who didn't achieve anything in life. And you can have career, whatever, but they will still judge you that, oh, it's you're not good enough. 
it's definitely the same in Japan and it's definitely changing, but you know, part of it abuse happens and then part of it is um the expectation and the social pressure and then the people gossip, people talk down on you. And those are the things that I faced myself too. But when your fiance left, obviously you are so you are going to get married. How how was your friends and family's reaction? Family and friends were very supportive. That the danger in this supportive part I realized later is that. I was a victim at that time, right? I felt as a victim and they joined me. So they were crying with me and they were assuring me that I am a victim, which is not healthy really. Because you at that time, you don't want to really go deeper into that victim mode. You need someone who will give you a hope that, not, not only hope that will give you tools also, to leave it as soon as possible. I was in this victim mode for too long because of my family and friends were assuring me that it's your right to be a victim. Yes, you, you should cry, you should yeah, do whatever you are doing, which was nothing, lying in bed and crying and even getting deeper in the darkness. Um, then I noticed that the not family but friends started avoiding me because yeah like how long you can listen the victim you, nobody wants to be with a victim for a very long time so when I noticed that they are avoiding me separating from me I was like oh you you don't love me I don't so I was running again my limiting story and even going deeper in the victim mode and until the you know the time when I was like okay that's enough it's it's time to move on yes it's very weird concept especially like coming from different countries and like people don't understand the depth of this pressure getting into relationship perfect marriage all that stuff and that pressures us more when it doesn't work out which is normal and the relationship is always the hardest thing and like you said um you want to kill yourself you get went to depression and all the stuff is i would say extra extra pressure and a brainwash that we had experienced as a child and then yeah. even like media soap opera all that stuff too Absolutely. I agree. And if I can add, it's the, the social pressure. Yeah. And this from the little girl, when I hear that, that your main, your main goal in life is to have husband and to have family. And if you, you, you fail, if you don't. And I was so long in this relationship and we were spending like our families were spending time uh, Christmas and all holidays together. And then it's ended. And the, the, a very ugly thing in when yeah, couples are done with each other or they decide together or it's one of them decides that doesn't want to uh, move forward with the relationship that the friends that you used to have together they take sides right so 
all the friends that I have from my fiance side, they stopped connecting with me because they they were not my friends anymore. Like how so? How we were spending all vacations together, how everything parties together. And then because yeah, he decided that he, we are not together, you stopped talking to me. That was that was very painful also. Yes, I completely understand. And then coming to America, let's talk about this a little bit. So as an immigrant, um, and so you mentioned that when people say like, you know, is there anyone who speaks English or like, you know, go back to where you come from? I heard that from my Asian friends, especially uh, during the pandemic as well. Wow. But you are not Asian looking, you are more Caucasian looking. And how is it so that people would say such a thing? It's because of accent, right? I have an accent and I will always have my accent. So if I, I work in hospitality, so uh, if they didn't re- receive whatever they wanted, like sometimes, let's say front desk and I work at front desk and they wanted this room with this view, which was already taken. So I cannot create you something that is not available. And they were very upset. So then they would get even more upset (laughs) or if their credit card got declined, it was also my fault for some reason. And they got upset. Uh, Then they started saying, is there someone who really speaks English? Go back to where you come from and all this, you know, uh, you are just an immigrant. Remember who you are. You are just, yeah, that was another one. Remember who you are. You're just an immigrant. You, w- you will never achieve anything in here. So I said, oh, so I was crying a lot. I was taking it very personally. But later on when I, yeah, I was educating myself and getting all the tools that, my mentors were giving and sharing with me I realized that it's not about me it's about them they must be very unhappy in their own life so they take it on me and so then I was just smiling and I said okay that's 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 my fault all right so it reminds me a story of when I was working at Starbucks (laughs) <laughs> story I was a shift supervisor I had a store key I have all the power and this American people come same thing is there anybody who can explain about my la- my latte oh, <laughs> yeah. somebody even um contacted like the district manager or regional manager to try to fire me because they said I made an awful coffee and it's like $3, $4. And then I had another black employee girl. He did the same thing. Wow. So people definitely say stuff. And then I still get discrimination. And then instead of like, say, do you speak English? They say, can, can you speak English? <laughs> That's funny. Or, or the funny thing is when they really like slow down down and say, do you understand? And I say, yes, yes. <laughs> no, I remember. No, seriously, I remember this um, colleague at Starbucks. She was 
in medical school at the Boston University, which is one of the prestigious school. Mm-hmm. And this um, Caucasian woman came and she said hot chocolate. And then she said, what size? But she thought like she didn't understand English. So I, she was screaming at her and yeah. it said hot chocolate. So she yelled at her back and said, what size? <laughs> it was just like, on and on. So yeah. I don't think, unfortunately, as an immigrant, um, I, I don't think it's going to go away. Even I'm a journalist and I'm a front cover journalist. People always say, do you understand? And yeah, I've written 500 articles so far. <laughs> Yeah, you know, some people always gonna stay the same or their beliefs gonna be the same and they will discriminate, but they really discriminate themselves first, probably in their own lives. So I always say to whoever is experiencing that, that kind of discomfort and being discriminated or other adversity, ask yourself like, what you have power over. You don't have power power over these people. You can't change them. But what you have power over is your response, right, to to what what is happening. And don't take it personally because it's not about you. It's about them. They are probably very unhappy in their own life for whatever reasons. And they don't really uh, see it. And they take it on others. Well, thank you so much. And you shared a lot about the tools, but let's change our topic to the um, the tools that you okay. um, So I know you mentioned a lot of things during our conversation, but can you please tell our audience what are maybe the top tools that you used uh, that worked for you to combat these adversities? Sure. And before I will mention the tools, I want to make sure that the audience hears that the tools might change with your growth the tools gonna change for you as well. So the tools back at the, the, the powerful tool back in a time when I just started getting into self uh, development was journaling, and I still use it, and it's so powerful. It was, you know, the the tool that I could use anytime and just dump my brain there, the, the frustrations, and I knew that nobody's gonna get there. It's just for me, and it was very helpful. Right? So your nervous system, when you're upset, usually we reach out to our journaling, to our journals or notebooks when we are not happy with our lives. We hardly ever write, oh my gosh, this was such a wonderful day. But when we are upset, when adversity comes, we, we like, not everyone, but a lot of us likes to go and write. And it was very helpful. Uh, the brain dumping, what, what is one of my... Uh, tools that I was introduced to by my first very first coach and so it was like just write and write until you not only dump everything from your brain but also from your body so the emotions to put the emotions on the paper and then get rid of it by uh, putting into flames I don't know if anyone will like it but it was really helpful to me the other uh, tool it was uh, and still is meditation. And I actually, at the very beginning, I had no clue what is meditation. I thought that I do, but I didn't really. So I was very unhappy that I cannot really focus. It's the thoughts are coming. 
and uh, late, later I started um, practicing with Dr. Joe Dispenza and it's when I learned and I'm continuing this, this training with him till today and it's why when I learned what really meditation is about that is connected with breath and the breath is really the first tool that is putting you in this meditative state and helps you to really drop the and put this whatever is happening around you on the side and be present so meditation breath work uh, journaling still movement oh my gosh going to the gym and getting this frustrations or the life uh, you know unhappiness out of me there it's also very helpful so movement uh, and i think one of the most important i'm not sure if it's a tool but but i use it as a tool create your community community of people that will support you no matter what but they won't be there only when you are happy, but they will be there for you, especially when adversity comes. And they won't keep you in your victim mode, but they will lift you up and give you a hand and show you, hey, it's temporary. You've been there already before. You have all tools in you to move forward from it. And working on your mindset, you know, mindset is very important because the environment and the events that we are experiencing, it's the story. It's not really what happens, but the story that we tell ourselves about what happened and we believe that what keeps us uh, in, keeps us stuck and holds us back from living fully and moving forward. Well, thank you so much for um, sharing that tools. So my last question is uh, a gift that came from the adversity. So what do you think a gift that came from the adversity? What a great question. Um, I think the biggest gift for me is freedom. Freedom to be myself, no matter what. I'm not ashamed of my accent anymore. I'm not ashamed to say what I really think. Even someone doesn't like it, I know today that other people's opinions are not my business. I have to live for myself. I have to show up for myself every single day. So freedom in all levels. It's mind, mind and body. It's mine. So freedom. Well, thank you very much again, Peata, uh, for coming to a gift from adversity. I have a big favor. If somebody is from Poland and maybe listening to it, would you say some advice in your language that maybe people can resonate or maybe you can have some ad advice for maybe people who went through similar things with you, like you, and then um, maybe can be uplifted by you? Absolutely. Wow. Nigdy się nie poddawaj. Idź za swoimi marzeniami. Wszystko jest możliwe. I to wszystko zależy od Ciebie. Dziękuję. Thank you. The only Polish I know is cześć. <laughs> cześć. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Well, I really appreciate you uh, sharing your story today. And then thank you for being a part of this movement with us. Thank you so much.
Absolutely. And thank you to our audience. I have more guests coming in for a gift from adversity. Well, stay tuned.